people think anger motivates them. You know, you're so angry, I'm gonna go do whatever. And it could motivate you, but you don't have to be motivated by anger. And I think that sometimes when we are hurt, it feels more empowering to be angry than it does to be in pain, right? Because pain doesn't feel uh, very empowered. But you can go from being in pain to um, being empowered and you can be empowered by by love or by righteousness or by justice. It doesn't have to be um, coming from a place of anger. That was Trish Agel Roberts and I'm your host, Christina. Welcome everybody. So good having you here. Um, I hope you're having an amazing new year so far. I hope you're walking confidently with uh, conviction to do good and be kind to yourself and others this year. So today uh, we have Trish. Trish is amazing. Um, and she says she's on a mission to share her revolutionary 12-step approach to mind-blowing happiness with the world. Uh, she's a self-actualization coach, yoga and meditation instructor, happiness expert, and founder of Honey Butterflies LLC and Black Vegan Life. Trish was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and holds an MBA from Long Island University. Trish is the author of three self-help books, the ebook called Mind-Blowing Happiness, Guide to Self-Care, the self-help memoir that we will be discussing today called Thinking Outside the Chrysalis, A Black Woman's Guide to Spreading Her Wings, and inspirational journal 12 Steps to Mind-Blowing Happiness, and journal of insight, quotes, and questions to juice up your journey. Trish has 10 years of Buddhist study and 20 years of yoga experience, and she believes movement and nature are, uh, are therapy and loves running, hiking, and yoga. And she also welcomes you to sign up for her inspirational blog and learn more at mindblowinghappiness.com. As we discussed during the interview, uh, I met Trish uh, as I started my kind of running slash um, fundraising career for uh, the uh, nonprofit here called the Humane League, and uh, she she was she was just always this ball of light uh, who inspired uh, to have fun in, in everything that you do. And uh, I, I just remember being like really stressed out before these like first race, the first time I ran the half marathon or uh, we ran many races afterwards. And uh, at the beginning, I would, I would get pretty anxious and I, I would just remember her like always smiling and be like, you just have fun, don't worry about it. And it was just really nice to have somebody like that around. So I truly believe her when she says a happiness experts because um, she, she's a walking example of uh, being able to find joy in, in whatever she does. Um, in this conversation, as I said, we uh, cover her self-help memoir called Thinking, uh, Thinking Outside the Chrysalis, uh, A Black Woman's Guide to Spreading Her Wings. And she shares her really cool framework um, about of, of butterflies and breaking out of the chrysalis and um, kind of the 12 drops uh, towards your happiness journey because um, uh, butterflies, as I learned, they eat nectar. And so she had this symbolic view of kind of every time you get a drop of nectar, it's like one step closer uh, to, to being happy. And I, I really, really love that analogy. 
we talk specifically about the different ways uh, or, and why it is, it is important to heal our past and what it, what it means. Uh, we talk about anger, um, where it comes, uh, what the effect that it has on our body and our consciousness, and also the way to uh, work through anger constructively. We talk about service and uh, finding joy, meaning uh, in our work. And of course, we also talk about veganism and just being kind and compassionate in our lives overall. So this is a really, really cool interview. I really enjoyed speaking with Trish. We just really had like a warm-hearted conversation as uh, um, just, just a friendly conversation with a friend that I haven't seen in a while. It was really, really good to catch up with her. We recorded this right before Christmas. Uh, so it was it was a little bit ago, uh, but I, I think the conversation is um, a relevant, as, as relevant as ever. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you follow Trish on social media. I'll include all the links in the uh, notes and intro notes. And I hope you sign up for her blog and for her newsletter. And I hope you uh, give uh, one or all of her books a shot. And I also wish you well. Um, and I hope that you have a wonderful week or few weeks before I see you at our next episode. Be kind. another episode of follow your kind podcast very excited to have you all back we have an amazing guest this has been a long time in making a long time in planning but we have trish agel roberts i did i say it right trish you did a beautiful job yes. thank you so much thank it's so good you. to be here tina finally I know. I'm so excited we we're doing this. Um, so me and Trish have known each other for a while now. We have been friends since we started running together for the Humane League, which was probably over three years ago now. I think about yeah, that something time. like that. I think I ran, I think my first half marathon that I ran, I think we ran it together. And it was like such a huge deal for me. And I remember it was being so cold. I think, was it, was that the one where we ended up at Turner Park or the new yes. Georgia Stadium? Yes, I yes, so. I think so. And I remember it was being very cold and I was so lost because I had no idea about like the logistics of what it takes to run a race. I thought you just run, but then you have to get like the numbers and the kids and have your snacks <laughs> ready. I don't know. <laughs> but I remember one thing that struck me about you pretty early on is that you always like, I remember being like nervous about like the time and making sure that I finished it. And you were like, just have fun. Just enjoy it. I was That's like, true. wow, I've never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And the thing is like, you're so fast and so amazing. I'm like, what is she worrying about? <laughs> just have fun. I love that. I love that. Well, one of the many reasons that we are having conversations today is um, because you're launching not one but several books now and the one that I had a privilege to read pretty early on was uh, Thinking Outside of the Chrysalis, A Black Women, Woman's Guide to Spreading Her Wings. So I am very excited to have a conversation about that and about your work overall today and what kind of exciting learning experience you're having and, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. That, that book kind of accidentally turned into my memoir which wasn't really how it started, but um, then I ended up just sharing my, all my woes and <laughs> crazy stories in there, but I'm excited to talk about it. 
Yeah, well, I think it's what it's what makes it special. Uh, I've spoken to several people recently um, from different kind of walks of life. Some some being in healthcare and having PhDs, and some making an impact more on the um, kind of community level without necessarily having the credentials, but having all the experience needed to really make an impact. And what comes on over and over again is the power of the story and the storytelling, and being able to share with people some some details that allow others to relate and so I think your storytelling and your memoir like writing I'm sure is only helpful and only beneficial for those reading it because it allows them to to relate their stories to your story yeah it makes you human you know it makes you human I know um, a lot of times people would look at me and imagine the life that they thought I had and um, so it was nice to be able to share that, you know, everything hasn't been easy. And I think for most people, we all have stuff, right? Like it's not always easy. Yeah, I love it. Make, make it making you human. It's very important, especially nowadays, right? When most of us are stuck in front of their screen. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been t- doing a lot of talking lately about anger and empathy. And I think that... Um, we're kind of out of practice with empathy and people sometimes do have a hard time seeing the humanity in other people. Um, You know, we'll talk later about animals as well, because to me, they're human too. Um, But yeah, it's kind of triggering that, that humanity for other people that we all, we're all kind of, you know, making our way through this thing together. Yeah. This thing called life. I love that. So before, before we dive into the book, um, can you talk just a little bit more and give us, give us your background? Where are you from? Um, where are you now? How, how, yeah. you, how long have you been here and where are you going? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, my parents are from the Caribbean. So my dad was from Jamaica and my mom was from St. Lucia. And I talk about some of this in the book. I grew up Catholic and then kind of went on this spiritual journey. Um, and now I live in Atlanta or right outside of Atlanta. Um, I'm divorced. I have a daughter who just turned 20 this week, which She's is beautiful. I love every time you post pictures of her, it makes me so happy. <laughs> she looks just like you. And I have my little dog who, you know, he's here and I forgot to take off his jingly collar. So in case you hear a jingle, We'll just pretend it's like a little elf or or something like that. Um, But I worked as a um, financial advisor for 12 years before resigning my job to start my own business. So my business now is Honey Butterflies LLC. And my writing is through that business and my self-actualization coaching, as well as yoga, which is primarily um, plant-based retreats although we haven't been doing much retreating lately because of COVID. So <laughs> hopefully in the new year, we'll get back to having some nice events. That's right. Um, I remember you shared a few retreats that you've done in the past, uh, circled around yoga and community building. And I think there were several workshops, kind of reflective workshops that you're including uh, in it before. Yeah. So I started off, you know, I organized Black Vegan Life on Meetup for the past six years. So I started doing retreats as part of that group and we were doing like day retreats and then we did um, some overnight. And actually the way that this book happened was 
I was planning to do my first kind of large retreat since I started my business and I wanted it to be diverse and inclusive. And we were going to do it at Callaway Gardens out here, um, south of Atlanta. That's so beautiful. And, yeah, it is. And you know what? They have the butterfly um, gardens or whatever. They, it's like a big butterfly sanctuary. That's so I thought, perfect. okay, this is perfect. It's meant to be. The universe is speaking to me. This retreat's going to happen. And then, um, you know, the signups weren't going at the pace that I thought they would. So I started getting concerned about that. And I finally made the decision that I wasn't going to continue with it. Of course, then 2020 happened, so it was gonna fall apart anyway. But in the process of planning for that, I wanted my retreat participants to have the benefit of all this crazy wisdom that I've collected in my brain over the past 20 years. So I started writing this book. Hmm. And then you know the retreat went away, but the book stayed because the, the retreat was called Thinking Outside the Chrysalis. That's amazing. Okay, so let's uh, it, now it helps me because my one of my questions was going to be why write a book and how did it come about? And it sounds like it was just a natural progression from what you already had within you and what you wanted to share. So it makes a complete sense. Let's yeah. then let's then go into a little bit more detail on the book. I'm I'm very much like a visual and kind of structural person. I want to know how it works behind the scenes and how the wires connect together. And I love the layout. Well, first of all, I love the name. I love the symbolism between the caterpillars and butterflies. And I hope you can talk a little bit more about that. And then also another question is the 12 drops. Why 12? You know, I have often said to people that there were times when I felt like I was not writing this book, like it was being channeled through me. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't make a decision to have 12. I knew that I had all this stuff in my head. And one night I actually woke up in the middle of the night, like around three o'clock in the morning. And it was like, I had to write down these 10 chapter titles or subjects. So I had 10, I got up, I wrote them down and I went back to sleep. And then later on, I started kind of working through them. And I was like, okay. And then some kind of way I added two more on there, but that was how it became 12. So it wasn't like really smart and strategic on my part. It just kind of happened. Um, and then honestly, um, well, I'm, I'm actually going forward because I'm thinking when I got to the second book and I wrote 12 steps, I started getting concerned about it getting mixed up with addiction treatment and that kind of thing. But um, no, the, the 12 just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. But then I loved it because there's 12 months in a year and it's a dozen. So it's like perfect, you know. Like everything, when you just open your heart and follow the guidance, everything falls in just perfectly. That's what I've learned, honestly, Tina. And I'm just kind of like, well, because you read the book, I used to always be trying to make things happen. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I want to happen. And I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to make 500 phone calls and, you know, do all these things. And I would really fight with the world trying to make my vision happen. Um, but I've learned that it's, life is so much easier when you stop doing that. Like when the retreat didn't happen or wasn't going the direction that I wanted it to, I could have spent a lot of time being upset about it. But I kind of just said, okay, well, this is not what's supposed to happen. You know, and kind of lean back and say, you know, universe or God or however you call that, um, show me what you want to have happen. And it turned into this book, which is so much more amazing. I can reach so many more people than I ever would have met, even if my retreat was full, because full would have been 50 people, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And as you said, what it, what comes off as well for me every time I talk to you about the book is how excited you get. And it's clear that you're gathering, cultivating so much joy through this work that you're doing and through sharing and through making doing these interviews and through continuing to work on your book. And again, it's like going back full circle from when we first started, right? Why make it complicated? You're already here. You already arrived. Just enjoy the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I just learned so much that I wanted to share and once I um, kind of opened my heart to that, then it just all became so much easier. There's a point in the book where I say that I used to be on the struggle bus, which is kind of a, maybe a black colloquialism. I don't know if everybody says struggle bus. <laughs> said that before, I don't know. <laughs> you, you it, okay, because my editor was, well, she's also from Canada. She's like, what is the struggle bus? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> But I used to always say I was on the struggle bus because I was like, you know, a single mom and, you know, trying to make ends meet and whatever. And, um, and now I just say I'm on the bus, like someone else is driving the bus. And I can just be like, it's kind of like sitting in the back of a limo. Like I can just relax and see where this party is going. I was just about to say that you're no longer in the bus. You're in the limo now. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Okay, well, tell us more about the symbolism and where they came from. There is, I think, the, I gathered a lot from it, from the butterfly and how the caterpillar and the transitions between and how it can be symbolic and so telling about the different phases and how we can approach the world. How was the idea born in your head and how do you see it, especially for somebody maybe who, is, who hasn't read the book yet? How do you describe it? Right. So, I don't know. I've been little borderline obsessed with butterflies from when I was maybe in my early 20s. Um, you know, I talk about some, some childhood trauma that I experienced in the book. And I think from there, you know, when I was a teenager, I was kind of like acting out and wearing black and doing all the stuff. Um, so I had this, I don't know, I just got drawn to the idea of the butterflies transformation from you know, being a caterpillar, which nobody likes caterpillars, like nobody's really into caterpillars, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they don't look like they're about to become anything. They really just look like, (laughs) you know, lost. Like they're on a struggle bus. Or something, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and then I found this mug that I kind of held onto for a long time. It says, just when the caterpillar thought its world was over, it became a butterfly, you know? And I can't say that I've had like serious depression or anything like that, but I've certainly had times when I was like, is this it? Is this all, you know, like, would anybody miss me? You know what I mean? It's just like, Mm -hmm. I've had low points in my life. I think most people, if you live long enough, you're going to hit on a few of those. Um, So yeah, so I, I just really started thinking about the metamorphosis of the caterpillar and you know, sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to philosophy, right? So I started thinking like, okay, what is the caterpillar thinking when it's in the chrysalis, which is the cocoon, mm-hmm. uh, before it comes out as a butterfly? Like, what is it thinking? Is it thinking that it's dying, you know, or does it have to, um, I guess this came to me like, does it have to somehow imagine that there is life on the other side as a butterfly? Um, I I would imagine maybe there's some effort for it to get to the other side. So it just kind of became this metaphor. And if you do read things that I write, I am in love with metaphors. I think they just really 
give concepts a lot of depth. So the whole idea was that if you wanted to have a breakthrough, you first had to be able to visualize and conceptualize it. So using the, you know, the butterfly metaphor, you had to think outside of your cocoon or think outside of your chrysalis. And honestly, for me, because I've been on the journey with you guys, it's not like I'm writing about it and I'm doing something different. I've actually been experiencing this in my own life. So for me, I had to really, at one point, um, have the courage to dream, you know, to imagine what my life would be like if I wasn't working a nine to five, you know, um, what would I do? How would I live? Would I be sleeping on someone's sofa? You know, just going through all of those things. Um, and then also daring to dream really big because right now I really want to affect, you know, millions and millions of people with my teachings, but you have to kind of dare to, dare to want it, right? So, I, so I guess that's my, my butterfly story. The, I end up, <laughs> I ended up doing the, um, the drops in the book because as I got into my, you know, I was psychoanalyzing my butterfly basically. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what do they eat? You know? <laughs> so they eat drops of nectar because they're brilliant, right? They're not like us eating junk food, they're eating nectar. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's it. Every chapter is a little drop of wisdom. It's a drop of nectar. It's, you know, it's, um, spiritual, emotional food. Yeah. And I love those. Uh, is that oh, the jingle really cat? Cute. Is that a jingle cat? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so um, I'm going to go through the drafts really quickly for, for those listening who may not be familiar with the book because I, I just love the beauty, the simplicity of all of those principles. Maybe we can pick a few and, and touch on those a little bit more in depth. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. So we have drop one is heal the past first. Drop two, get a, in parentheses, spiritual life. Drop three, it takes a village to support an adult. Drop four, get real, all capitals, with someone. Drop five, anger is a lie. Drop six, give it away for free. Drop seven, no more bag lady. Drop eight, lay your weapons down. Drop nine, patience is the truth. Drop 10, don't eat the dead. We're going to have to talk about that one. <laughs> Drop 11, work equals play. Also love that one very much for myself. Drop 12, float like a butterfly. Yes. I love this. For I love them all. <laughs> no That's favorite so children. <laughs> ah, no, I really don't have favorite children. There, there's some that I get more questions about than others. Um, but I feel like they, they came together in such a, in such a important way. Like the first five to me are really foundational. Mm -hmm. And then the next five are kind of a little bit more expansive. Mm -hmm. And then the last two are like really when you're, you know, full on butterfly floating. So that's probably why you like the 11 because you're floating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I love it. Is, was there, uh, there seems to be a, a kind of intentional progression from one to the next. So they have to kind of happen in consequence, uh, in a sequence, one from each other. Is that how you thought about it? Um, I do think of them in sequence. 
However, as people approach the book, you know, everybody's in a different place in their life. So you may not, you know, the first couple of ones may not resonate with you. You may have something else that you want to work on personally. Um, but what I've said to, uh, what I say to everyone is you could work on one chapter and throw the rest of the book away and that one chapter could change your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if the only thing that you worked on was what we were talking earlier about learning to surrender and you said, you know what, I'm just gonna work on learning to surrender for 2021. Mm -hmm. um, that alone could like totally change your life. You know, so yeah. um, any of them can really be taken by themselves. And um, we were talking about writing. I think that the next thing I'm gonna write is gonna be about anger, you know, and let that be a book by itself. Cause I get so many questions about, about that. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the ones I outlined that I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about. But let, let's start with the first one, uh, just to dig in a little bit on healing the past. Um, why do you think that's important? Yeah, I mean, for me, that was my story. I am a um, child sexual assault survivor, and I know a lot of other um, assault survivors. Um, and it changed the trajectory of my life and of my childhood. And I, and I guess I had to, um, well, maybe I didn't have to, but I, what did I say? I'm philosophical. <laughs> so, I, so I was really drawn to having some control over my personal growth. You know, like I think I was more focused on personal growth than maybe someone who had not experienced trauma or a trauma that they were necessarily aware of. So that was always something that um, was really obvious for me. You know what I mean? Like I would say, I think everybody grows with some sort of trauma, you know, whether it's some family dysfunction or um, I think even privilege, you know, too much privilege is kind of a trauma. Mm -hmm. I think I learned that from Lori Lachlan's daughter, you know, uh, I listened to an interview from her and also a another book that I'm reading about, um, racialized trauma, you know, but they deal with not just um, the the black perspective, but also mm -hmm. the white perspective, like we're all kind of traumatized by this um, gaslighting, like almost like a national gaslighting that takes place in the US. I know you're not from here. So <laughs> and I don't know how long you've been here, Tina, but we have a big gaslighting that's going on. <laughs> Well, I, I've been here for a decade now, but I actually just recently had a conversation with somebody about gaslighting and under, learning what the concept means and, and how to think about it. So that's a really, really interesting way to, to put it. And it totally makes sense, but I've never thought about it until just now that you said it. And I think I'd, I'd say that it, it's happening in, a few, in several different realms. I, I think definitely the conversations yeah. around racial equality is, is one of them, but the concept overall is very, very interesting, as, as you say, on the, on, the, on the society level. Yeah, so I, so I think that, um, that we all have a need to heal. Um, I, I've said, even if you are, say, a white male in the U.S. and you had a great family and your life has been perfect as far as you can tell, um, I think there is still a need to heal from the gaslighting, you know, from the, the kind of education that we've received and things that have been left out. But um, the healing is first because it's foundational. Um, it's hard to 
you know, it's hard to learn, say, self-love if you have unhealed trauma, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you talked a lot about um, at the beginning as you used to feel like you're, you're not enough. And I can definitely relate to that. And I like what you said. Um, there's a quote here that I underlined. It says, I believe every negative experience has the potential to grow you or destroy you. I have learned it is impossible to live the life of your dreams with an unhealed heart. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of something else I, um, I read earlier um, from the, the Gnostic Gospels, I guess. But this another phrase really spoke to me. And I think it's along the same lines. And it says, if you bring out what is inside of you, what is inside of you will save you. If you fail to bring out what is inside of you, what is inside of you will destroy you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, so, it's so telling. And as the way that you put it is also so powerful. Tell me, how do you think how do you feel or how do you act around feeling or not feeling enough and how how do you overcome that habit that is almost on your subconscious level and it's so hard for us to even admit sometimes much less to do anything about yeah so you know what struck what struck me was remembering saying that I felt like a broken doll you know so that kind of resonated a little bit more for me Um, and I don't think that that feeling really went away until I was able to go through some therapy, you know, therapeutic techniques. And it wasn't only working with a therapist, it was also working with books. Um, it was even working with films, you know, there are films, um, some that I reference in the book mm-hmm. that support, um, you know, these, these subjects of childhood trauma that I'm talking about. Um, I also mentioned when I read, um, Maya Angelou, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, I was young and she wrote about rape. And I was just like, this happened to another person in the world besides me. Like, you know, you feel so alone because it's nothing that anybody speaks about. Mm -hmm. But um, there's no fast way through trauma. You know, there's no, you know, take these two steps and it's all good. And, you know, everybody's got different scenarios that they've had to deal with. you might have mental abuse in your family or alcoholic parents or, you know, physical violence, all kinds of things. Um, so there's no kind of, I wish I had like the one step program for that. But I think that the biggest, the biggest thing in each step or drop is the acknowledgement. So like I talk about in the book, when I was married to my, um, my daughter's father and we were going to marriage counseling and I saw the sign that said mental health on the outside of the building. And I didn't wanna go in there cause I didn't want anybody to think any, anything was wrong with me. Yeah, so I think that first just um, acknowledging that you need some help or you know that you don't know everything cause mm-hmm. none of us knows everything um, is a great first step. And then once you, once you know that there's something you want to work on, then you can find resources to help you get through. You know, there's support groups and there's um, therapists and books and we have internet. So we have everything now. We have Google. <laughs> yes. That, and also like your book is really just an amazing resource. So uh, seeing, seeing what's out there and it has like so much love and compassion and so much just like good stuff that even you don't even necessarily have to admit that there that you have things to heal but I think once you read your book you're like oh wow there's like all these amazing beautiful journeys possible so let me try it on you know mm-hmm. 
Okay, so let's maybe skip a few drops. And then I do want to talk about the drop five, anger is a lie. What, 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 what caused you to include that uh, in your book? Why did you think this was important? Yeah, so that's one of the most important things that I learned when I, um, and I remember very well, and I wrote about it. Um, it was 10 years ago. I was getting out of a relationship that wasn't working. I was working at a employer that um, was racist. I mean, they ended up having a large class action lawsuit that I was a part of. Um, and I was just angry. I was angry that my relationship wasn't working. I was angry that I wasn't um, doing well at my job, you know, for reasons that had nothing to do with me. And um, I was cranky. I was a single mom. I thought I would have been remarried by then. You know, my daughter was nine. And I guess I had just about reached that point where it's like, well, it hasn't happened now. So I guess it's not happening. Um, and I had always wanted to learn to meditate. I didn't really know what that meant. But I finally Googled and I went into um, Kadampa Meditation Center out here in Atlanta and uh, did my first meditation on death of all things. But I, <laughs> but I loved it. And, um, and then through that process of starting to learn more about Buddhist philosophy, they presented this idea where you didn't have to get angry. And I was like, you don't know me. Like, you don't know what's going on in my life, you know? Um, so that teaching is really Buddhist teaching, but it has had such a profound impact on my life. Like, I just want to teach it to everyone because, you know, you could test it for yourself. It's not like I'm going to tell you something and you just have to believe me but you could try it out for yourself. And what I found is that anger, like, <sighs> I mean, it's really self-harming, you know? Like if my dog does something and I decide that I'm angry about it, I mean, I guess I could yell at him and make him feel bad too. But, you know, sometimes we're angry with people and they don't even know it, you yeah. know? I, ex I know exactly what you're talking about. You're <laughs> like drinking, it's, it's like drinking the poison and expecting another person to die, right? I yeah. love what you say here. Uh, whatever you choose, you'd be wise to release the anger option. And yes, it is an option. So it's like what you said, like you, we, we don't have to get angry. And I, I think I, I certainly had to learn it and I'm still learning that. But the fact that we do have a choice over how, how long we indulge in our emotions like we actually have a choice and it is surprising and I think it definitely takes practice to remember to be aware of it and then one day maybe actually be able to practice and release the anger sooner rather than later I think it takes some effort and intentionality but it's certainly possible and I also love another quote that you say here about kind of trying to describe what anger does to you and it says you can't be happy and angry at the same time surprise You'd be like a butterfly trying to fly with a hornet on its back. Anger can't elevate you. It will buzz you in your ear, it, it throw you off course and weigh you down. Yeah. Like people don't make good decisions when they're angry. <laughs> you know, sometimes one of the things that uh, I would hear is people think anger motivates them. You know, you're so angry, I'm going to go do whatever. And it could motivate you, but you don't have to be motivated by anger. You know, I thought a lot about um, the murder of George Floyd over the mm -hmm. spring, summer, um, you know, the protests. 
and you know the the reaction to those terrible videos that we saw they were painful you know um and i think that sometimes when we are hurt it feels more empowering to be angry than it does to be in pain right because pain doesn't feel uh very empowered but you can go from being in pain to um being empowered and you can be empowered by by love or by righteousness or by justice it doesn't have to be um, coming from a place of anger um, i do want to share something though because i've been teaching kind of a little technique for people to get control of their anger mm -hmm. so i call it tame and reframe um, it's kind of four steps and i think of anger as like a lion <laughs> That's why I call it tame. But basically, I don't know, you want to give me an example of something that makes you angry or you want me to just? Uh, no, let's let's work through example. So um, Thanksgiving, because I feel bad for all the turkeys <laughs> who have to die. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's a good one. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So, and that's a perfect one for vegans because a lot of times you go vegan and you just get really, really angry with, the billions of animals that are murdered every year, right? Which is a terrible thing. So, so the tame part is to first acknowledge your anger because you feel kind of like, right? Mm -hmm. The second step is to take a few breaths, right? Get some oxygen to your brain before you make a bad decision, Tina. <laughs> and then this is, this is a good example actually because the next step is igniting your empathy. And a lot of times, really when we're on two sides of any argument, it's hard to have empathy for the people on the other side. And I see this a lot, you know, in vegan groups and stuff like that. So you have to have some empathy for the people who are eating the animals or causing the animals to be harmed or whatever, even if it's only because they don't have the education that we do on that topic, or they don't think they have other options. Um, or maybe they're pressured into consuming animals or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that um, is causing that to happen. Mm -hmm. From a Buddhist perspective, the karma is something that you would um, have empathy for as well, because they're really generating really negative karma for themselves. Um, so you do that and you think, okay, well, Hopefully that helps, you know, for you to think, well, you know what, they're, they're humans, they're a person like me who hasn't been on my path, who hasn't gotten the education. They could be me 10 years ago, right? Exactly. And I think that's what helps me to find a lot of empathy in situations like that. Because, you know, if, if you asked me 15 years ago or I don't know, 12, no, probably 15 years ago about if you can ever, you know, like stop, I don't know, eating meat or, or, and I, I used to smoke too, like, so start smoking. I'll be like, I'm not interested. What are you talking about? But then today I'm like, no, don't, don't harm the little mouse. Don't harm I the know, little, it's because you know better now. <laughs> but so the, the fourth step is exactly how you and I met, which is constructive action. So it's like, okay, now what can I do to make the situation better that's actually worthwhile? You know, so volunteering with charities, donating time, donating money. Um, maybe cooking delicious vegan foods and sharing pictures on social media or inviting your friends over for a vegan potluck, you know, whatever. Yeah, for vegan Thanksgiving. Yes. So, yeah. 
So that's, that's how you do it. I love it. This is so helpful. So tell us four steps again. Yeah. So the first step is to tame your anger, which is really just acknowledging it and acknowledging it like a lion, like it's separate from you. It is not who you are. Mm -hmm. So first acknowledge it. The second is to take some deep breaths because that really does bring oxygen to your brain. (laughs) And it also, it it also um, starts the kind of stress release response in your body. Mm -hmm. So it'll bring you down a little bit. And then the next step is to ignite your empathy. So kind of switch places with the person that, or the thing that's bothering you. And then the last step is constructive action. Find something useful to do now that your brain is working and you're not angry. You can think. I love it. it. Uh, And I'm really glad that we spoke through this because I think it's easy if you, if you just taken the, when this topic is just taken at the surface and you're like anger, don't do anger. It's like easier, easier said than done. But a lot of times it's not as easy to just drop anger because it like overtakes you or you have, you feel so deeply that it's almost impossible to just let it go. So I'm really glad that we talked through that. And I think we'll talk more about when we get to drop 11, to drop 10 yeah. to the to takes- not eating the dead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say it takes practice. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm going to write a whole book on it now, which I'm excited about. And it's also, there's more um, kind of low level variations of anger, like frustration, disappointment, jealousy, annoyance, you know, all of these little kind of low, you know, like when you're talking about the hornet buzzing on your back, it's like you have the little buzz mm -hmm, and you may not pay a whole lot of attention to it. And then you have kind of the big blow up too, Mm -hmm. but all of them are related. You know, they're all kind of related to this idea that we think things should happen the way we think they should happen. You know, whether somebody says the wrong thing to us or a car pulls in front of us, it's like, you know, who's bothering the queen? You know, (laughs) it's like, life doesn't really work that way. (laughs) Things don't actually just happen the way that Trish and Tina wanted to happen. Who said that? I know. <laughs> we have to change this planet so that everything happens the way we want it to. I love it. Okay, well, I know I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into drop 10, but maybe let's stop on our way really quickly on drop six because I really, really love this one and think this is part of why we're both here having this conversation and it's give it away for free. Yes. Um, so, and I love the quote that you have here. It says, just keep offering your the best you have directly from your heart. You won't have to wait for the magic. It will ignite spontaneously in you and the world will sigh in gratitude. And yeah. I think that goes back to what we just talked about at the beginning, kind of how when you stop resisting and you allow for things just flow and you become honest and act from the place of kindness and compassion, things just align and, and everything unfolds. And I think a lot of that took place in my life for sure. Uh, and that's why yeah. I continue to do just simply the things that I love and the things that ignite my passion, regardless of how much I get paid today, because I believe this is, this is like, this is what, this is what's fun. This is what brings me joy. And it also sounds like that's why you're in a place where you are because, because as you're beginning to open more and more up and sharing the joy that things are aligning for you as well. Yeah, it was all like, I always tell people that there was no strategy, you know, I just, I um, went vegan. And then like, I didn't know anyone. So I started my vegan group, because I'd like wanted someone to have lunch with. You know? <laughs> and then it just kind of blossomed. And I really enjoyed um, 
you know, helping people get together. And, you know, then we started doing different events and hikes and lunches and just different things. But one of the first books that we read was uh, Russell Simmons, Super Rich. And he talked in his book about when he was early on in his career, how he was giving away music. Do you know Russell Simmons? Do you know who he is? So he is like from the early days of hip hop. He was the producer for Run DMC and oh, LL Cool exactly J. Who he is. Yes, yes, I know exactly who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so initially I thought the book was going to be about being like a rich hip hop mogul or something. But then I saw him do an interview and I found out he was like a yogi and he meditated. And I was like, oh my gosh, let me find out what this is about. I found he was vegan too. But one of the things that really struck me in the book is when he said early in his uh, career, he was giving away music for free. And by doing that, he created a following. And this is before social media, you know, nobody had social media followings yet. And I just thought that that was fascinating because he could have easily said, I'm not giving you anything unless you pay my price. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you get hit by a bus and nobody paid your price. And then all your talents just go in the ground with you. Um, so that's what that chapter is really about. You know, yeah. You got to put it out there. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. It's like Paula Kelly says that when, when, the, the heart is clear or something like that, the universe conspires. So it's one of those examples of the universe just conspiring for, for you, for me, for, for everybody who's just following their dream. Yeah, but you got to put it out there. Well, the other story, I, I'm sure I wrote about this too, was that my, I wrote my first book in 1995, which is probably before you were born. <laughs> oh no, I was born in 88. <laughs> I'm teasing you, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but I but I wrote my first book in 95 and I tried to get it published and I couldn't get a publisher. And then I just, yeah, you know, we didn't have technology then. And I was just like, well, I guess I can't do anything with this writing thing. So I really didn't write for 20 years, which is crazy because now I feel like I feel like it's my talent, you know? And um, the fact that I kind of threw it away because I couldn't see a way for it to be profitable. I mean, you know, it's sad. So yeah. I, I feel like it all has a purpose. Like it's not sad for me because I feel like it all has the purpose of me being able to tell this story mm -hmm. so that I can tell other people, don't do what I did. If you have a talent, you really have to, you got to give it to the world. What else are you going to do with it? Yeah, I love that approach. And I also love your your thoughts about, you know, having the experience. It's like Sarah Blakely says, the more you experience, the more you have to offer to others. So it's like no experience goes to waste. If, even if it seems like there was no point in whatever thing that you've done or said, or that happened to you, it, it all has value. Right. Yeah. Well, it all builds your compassion. If nothing else, um, I always remember, and I probably put this in the book too, a, a pastor of mine, she said, you ever meet someone who doesn't understand anything because they've never been through anything? And that just really stuck with me because I was like, I think I know a couple of people like that. They're just kind of tone deaf and don't have any compassion for, for anybody who's not exactly like them, you know? Um, so, yeah. Okay. My, the one I've been waiting for, drop number 10, don't drop eat 10. the dead. Yay, compassion. So tell me about that one. Yeah, well, so 
I mean, my, uh, gosh, my journey to, to veganism took a while because I just didn't know anybody. Um, and when I finally did decide that I was going to put my foot down and stop going back and forth between pescatarian and whatever else I was doing, um, I had a little jingle in my head and it was being vegan makes me happy. And it was like a little kind of song I would sing to myself, being vegan makes me happy. So, and that really came from the realization that I was having like a little, what cognitive dissonance or like a little something in my stomach, you know, um, I remember, you know, having my sweet little dog and my beautiful daughter and taking a little fly that wandered into the house and putting him in a cup and taking him outside and then sitting down to have a chicken dinner. And I was like, hmm, I feel funny because <laughs> I was feeling like a hypocrite, you know, like I think most of us feel, especially as children, like we love animals. You know, we might even be really interested in worms or caterpillars or, you know, little insects. Like, I think that we kind of come into the world that way. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, we're taught not to care, um, but we still do care because they hide slaughterhouses. They don't put them in the middle of the supermarket, you know, for the most part. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I kind of, made that decision based on my own compassion and my journey with Buddhism. But then I also started thinking about other things. It's not only um, animals, but I think anytime that you are oppressing or abusing someone else, it can't be your source of joy. Mm -hmm. It just can't, you know? Um, I touch on other topics in the book around that same mindset, you know, that, yeah, just, I mean, you may think it's your joy to, to engage in something that's harmful to others, but I just believe that there is a universal law and a universal justice where those things come, you know, at some point you have to pay for being abusive or harmful or benefiting from the abuse or harm of others, so. Uh, I really like that you touched earlier on the form of the gaslighting on the level of society. And I honestly think that the, our conversations around eating animals and the way that a, a large part of society in this country today perceives it, I think that may be a, a part or the, the example of the gaslighting. Because mm -hmm. I, think, I think we're so... Um, sometimes disjointed in how we approach different problems and here we pass these laws or we have this large industries that take such good care of our pets for example right and there are things that are forbidden and then there there are all these businesses with like snacks and holiday gifts and little little clothes for our, our puppies and that's amazing but then on the other hand we treat other animals that are in no way inferior to the the, the 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 animals that we consider pets but that yet they're treated are treated so poorly and they have zero protection and are abused and completely disregarded and i just i just have so much struggle uh trying to reconcile the two and then also having most of the society like 
act like it's all normal and it's all okay and I really yeah. think that's that can be viewed perhaps as also a form of gaslighting of like trying to make vegans not trying to make but just hypothetically right making us believe that like we're crazy for thinking that this is wrong right well there's an example in the book where I think I talk about like old slave days you know like um having you know a cup of tea when you know that there are enslaved people in your basement, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or we don't talk about that in polite conversation. Like people get upset talking about things that are uncomfortable for them, even while they're doing them or even while they're a party to it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you know, but what I, what I tell people though is don't feel bad because there is a multi-billion dollar industry that is making you believe the things that you believe. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're a terrible person. Um, it's just that you don't know yet, you know? And if you decide that you want to know, the information is out there now. You can access a lot of, a lot of information that we couldn't access before. But the gaslighting, 100%. Like I remember buying... Um, you know, milk in a carton and it had a picture of a little red barn on the outside and like little happy cows. And then when you see actual footage of cows that are inside that have never been outside that are attached to machines all day, uh, you know, it's kind of like you, your mind is blown away. Mm -hmm. And I have had, well, for you, the, the things in that chapter are things that you already know. Um, and most of the people who have read the book have not commented surprisingly on that chapter. But um, I know that, you know, for, for a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of data. That's probably the most footmarked or footnoted chapter in the book. Um, so there is a lot of data there for people to, you know, get a little bit more informed. Because mm -hmm. it took me years to learn that stuff. I had no idea. I used to think that, this is so, so pitiful, I might have put this in there too, but I used to think that like, you know, that the heifer and the bull would go off in a corner and like make sweet, sweet love. Like I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that, that all of these animals are reproduced unnaturally, that they never have sex. They're artificially inseminated and it's just so gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, funny. I'm sorry, Tina. Did I talk? No, 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 no. That, you stop uh, you, me sometimes. I could just go crazy, but yeah. No, you're not. This is very, this is very appropriate and very true. No, absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, work equals play. Tell me yes. more about that one. Yes. I like it. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, work equals play, man. That is, you know, I, I think most of us has, have heard that expression, if you do work that you love, you'll never work a day in your life, mm -hmm. you know? Um, for me growing up, I heard it, but it was like, you know, my parents were like, you better get a real job with benefits and go to school, you know, and get some initials behind your name or, or something like that. Um, because, you know, they wanted us to be safe and um, be able to support ourselves. Um, so I... So I never, I guess, really pursued my passions, you know, or I never had my parents tell me, you know, you need to find out what you really want to do. Like, I didn't grow up in that time period. 
I grew up when it was like, okay, get a job. (laughs) And, um, and of course, you know, I'm a black woman. So like their perception of options was going to be very different. I was born in 1968, which is, you know, time of the civil rights movement. Um, So it's nice now to be in a position to maybe give a different message to my daughter. Mm-hmm. But what I talk about in the book is not, you know, we don't all have the opportunities to quit our jobs and start our own business and maybe follow our passion in exactly the way that we want to. A lot of times, like how you and I were discussing before, these things can take years. You may be giving it away for free for 10 years before it becomes something that's sustainable. But what I talk about is no matter where you are or what you're doing, you can add passion to your work. So even if it's figuring out what it is that you care about and setting aside two hours a week to work on it, you could do that. Or if it's, you know, maybe your job isn't the most exciting job, whatever, you can change your attitude and show up with some pep in your step and pretend it's your most exciting job until you start to feel it, you know, or add some additional creativity to what you do every day. Um, So yeah, I think that's when it really starts to get juicy um, Mm -hmm. is when you really, because it's almost like you're starting to see the fruits of all the other steps, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a quote from Khalil Gibran, who I adore, where he says, He says, um, work is love made visible. Did you get oh, that? My work God. is love made visible. Yes. You know, and now like the work that I'm doing is completely love. It's completely from my heart. And, you know, whether I give it away for free or, you know, become more compensated for it, it's, it's, the, it's the love that I give to the world. And you can see it, you know. So um, I think that's kind of the goal for us. And even if, you know, I talk in the book too about the lady who cleans my house. She takes such pleasure in it. She's like, oh, your house is clean for you now. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't want to do it. But I love being able to, you know, give someone else money who enjoys doing that. So yeah, work equals play. Yes. I'm still recovering. You really blew my mind with this quote. I think I missed it in your book somehow, but wow. Work is love made visible. I think I'm going to, I'm still, by the way, sitting in my office. So I think I'm going to put it on my wall because this is so true. And if only we can make it true for ourselves, whatever it is that we need to do to recalibrate, readjust, I think the world would be such a bigger better more compassionate place and it and I think the the key the cool part about it is that we don't necessarily have to immediately change anything the main thing that we're changing is the attitude so if you can if we can change our attitude our perception of the things to fit the model of work is love made visible can you imagine yes oh my god yes yes, thank you so much (laughs) Yeah. And also my, see my vision, the thing that blows me away is what if everybody reached their potential? You know, like we have so many people who they get thrown away, people thrown in prison, people who lose their lives young, people who are told they can't do this, they can't do that. They'll never amount to anything. I mean, even, you know, 
women used to only, you could only be a teacher or a secretary, right? Or you could only be this or that, or you could be a mom, you know, you could do, suppose everybody could just be the best at what they're best at. Like, what would the world look like? Mm. You know, what would it look like? You know? So. I love it. I'm trying to find out. I don't know. I want to pull as many people along as I can, you know? I love it. You're, well, you're pulling me along already, so thank you. <laughs> okay, so what were some of your biggest lessons learned as, as you're doing this work, as you wrote the book, the two books now, as you're continuing to do your work? And um, I, I mean, obviously, you spend so much time reflecting on your journey, forging meaning from it, talking to others about their journeys and how they're receiving your book. What are some of the lessons learned for you? Hmm. Uh, gosh, I mean, I think one of the biggest things I learned is that I can't get anything done if I don't make time for stillness. Um, and I, you know, I talk a lot about that in the book as well. Like if I don't, if I don't set aside time for stillness, I don't get like big ideas. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I get my most brilliant breakthroughs well, like I'm calling them brilliant, but I'm going to just own that. <laughs> yes, they are brilliant. Take it. <laughs> are, are in like moments of meditation or yoga or um, when I'm journaling or like doing like visualization exercises. Like, yeah, those to me, that was kind of my biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's so much power in what seems like nothing, you know, cause you yeah. could see someone in, or see me sitting still and it looks like she's not doing anything, but there's a lot happening. There could be a lot happening cause it happens in here, you know, it happens in your mind before it can become something that you can, you know, take out into the world. That's why dreaming is so important to me. Maybe I need to write a whole book about dreaming too. I might have to. (laughs) Dreaming is so so important. Like I fuss a little bit about vision boards in the book where I say that, um, you know, some folks do them kind of like as a craft project. It's like, let me just put some pictures on, you know, on a board or whatever. But your vision board should really be a vision. It should be something that's at least five years out, you know, and you should have, maybe 10 or 20 years, you know, something that's big, not your goals for this year. What is your vision? So, (laughs) so I really want to teach, and now, you know, I'm branding more as mind-blowing happiness. You know, I I wrote the companion novel to Thinking Outside, I mean, the companion uh, journal to Thinking Outside the Chrysalis is called 12 Steps to Mind-Blowing Happiness, and it teaches the same 12 steps, but I like the name Mind-Blowing Happiness because everyone can understand it. You know, the chrysalis, people don't really know about the butterfly and the whole thing, but they can understand it. So it's the same lessons, um, but I would like to teach it all over the world. Um, I want to have retreat centers, and I've recently decided in a moment of quiet, like what I was talking about before, that I want to have a center in St. Lucia and one in Jamaica, because that's where my parents are from. And they are both no longer with us. So I would like to honor them with that. Um, And I'll have, you know, speaking engagements and online courses and all those kinds of things. 
But at the core of everything is teaching these 12 steps because I really think that people don't know them. You know, it took me a long time to learn them. Mm-hmm. But I was studying Buddhism and, and yoga, like nobody's doing that. <laughs> so I'm saving you guys a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to take 10 or 20 years to learn this stuff. Like I put it in one place in English and it's really, it's really um, achievable. So <laughs> I love this. Um, okay, what about based on the feedback that you're receiving with uh, the people that you work with, with the groups that you work with? Um, what do you think are maybe three steps or three kind of actionable items that our listeners can take away with them in order to get on the journey of maybe becoming more happier or finding more joy or gaining the courage that it takes to break out of of their box and outside of their chrysalis? Yeah. Um, So I would definitely recommend that your listeners check out mindblowinghappiness.com. There's a resource tab in there. So you can access uh, meditations and there's one for each drop or step. There's affirmations, there's a yoga nidra, which is kind of like a yogic sleep is is what that means. Um, So that's about 30 minutes, it gives you a visualization. So as far as like a first step, because I'm cautious when I send people to um, other like meditation sites and stuff, because I don't always know what I'm sending you to. So if you go to my site, that's great. There's other places that I reference in the book as well. Um, But that's like a really nice first step to try, you know, a short meditation. Um, You said three steps. Let me think about my (laughs) my two steps. Yes, I think definitely checking out the resources. Of course, I'm going to tell you, you should definitely buy uh, one of one of the books, at least. Um, there's vegan. two of them that are out now. And step two and... is go vegan. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. Step three, go vegan. Yes. Or at least, at <laughs> least go in the direction, you know, because for some people, they're not gonna just wake up tomorrow and go vegan. We wish they would, right? But for most of us who are vegan, it took us a little longer than that. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that is actually a really easy way to improve your health <laughs> and to um, go more deeply into your own compassion. Um, one thing that, that I find really interesting with compassion is that we all want it for ourselves but we have a hard time giving it to others. And I'm not sure where, why that disconnect is, um, you know, not just with animals, but, but animals too. But it's interesting because you, you're never gonna talk to someone and say, do you wish people were nicer to you? Do you wish people understood you? Do you wish people could identify with you? They're never gonna say, no, I really like being misunderstood. I, li- I really like when people can't identify with me. I really like when people treat me poorly. Like we all wanna be understood and mm-hmm. treated well and treated with compassion. Um, and like what you were saying with, with the um, animals before, we want it for our pets. We want it for our sweet little dogs, um, but we should want it for all animals, right? Cause they're all the same. Like that. The animal does not get its value based on how I feel about it any more than I get my value based on how you feel about me. You know, I'm here 
I have a right to be here and I intrinsically have value because I'm here. And it's the same with everyone else who's here, whether it is a dog or a butterfly or a chicken or a cow or anyone else, you know, we all have a right to be here mm-hmm. and to um, hopefully be free from suffering, you know. So. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Trish, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we already talked for some time. Um, there's a final question that I ask that I'm going to hold on, hold off for a second. I, I do want to check with you. I know we've covered a lot of topics. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't considered or any things, any resources that you want to share, direct folks to go into your web pages um, and checking out? Um. Well, the main thing is my new website is mindblowinghappiness.com. You can find all of my, you can find all my social media there. I'm finally getting my life together with one brand. So I'm excited about that. Um, The new book, which is the companion journal is 12 Steps to Mind-Blowing Happiness, a journal of insights, quotes, and questions to juice up your journey. And I love the title. I hope you love it too. <laughs> I love the sound of it. It's so, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Check out the resources tab. There's some goodies there. You can also like when you go on my website, you'll have the opportunity to download a free ebook, which is a self-care ebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of goodies there. Sounds that's good. It. I love it. Um, okay. Well, my, my last question is usually about the kindness and, you know, the, the name of the podcast is follow your kind. And I love exploring the values of kindness with different people. I think everybody defines it for themselves a little bit differently, but I think it's important to do so and find your definition of kindness. So mm-hmm. uh, you are one of the people that I respect very much and look up to. Uh, you're one of my heroes and I'd love to oh. know what your definition of kindness is and how you get to follow it in your daily lives. So for me, and it's funny because my editor asked me this when I, when she was working on thinking outside the chrysalis, but for me, kindness is compassion. I feel like, I feel like they're the same. I mean, kindness perhaps assumes more activity, like an action, you know, that you're, you have the compassion for someone therefore you help them, you know? Um, But to me, it really starts with that feeling of empathy or compassion, Mm -hmm. being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And then once you do that, you want to have the action of of helping them. So that's what kindness means to me. I love it. I love it, Trish. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing the joy of your work and sharing your light and your wisdom. Um, And I I really appreciate the book, the opportunity to read it. And I really hope the listeners enjoyed it. If you haven't read it yet, please go get the book, check out the mind blowing. uh, Was it to mind mind blowing happiness, happiness happiness.com. Yes. And get the journal. Look at the quotes. The quotes are amazing. I love the quotes that you choose. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait for our paths to cross again. We should, we should coordinate that sunrise hike again. Yes. Yes. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. For those who are listening, we often uh, coordinate the hikes to stone mountain. We usually try to get it for sunrise. So we get to see how the day starts from the mountain and the view is beautiful. Sometimes it's a little cold, but it's, it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and thank you. Cause I think that you were the first one to give me that experience. And then I started taking other people because it's, it's, it's really amazing. It's wonderful. 
Yeah, it's one of my favorite places in Atlanta. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you one day in person. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and best of luck to you. Thanks, Tina. We finally did it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.